Welcome to House Calls, where we talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of Key Bank Capital Markets Incorporated. I'm your host, Dave Johnson, the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, delivering kinder, smarter, affordable care for all. I also co-author a monthly thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. In each piece, we do a deep dive on a fascinating sector of the dynamic healthcare industry. Today, we're continuing our road trip with our series of articles titled, All Roads Lead to Value. We're taking the scenic route on that journey today with a piece entitled, Making Inroads into Rural America. My co-author, Kobe Cottrell, is a Kane Brothers director in the firm's corporate M&A advisory practice. Welcome to House Calls, Colby, where the bankers are always in. Good to speak with you today, Dave, and look forward to discussing uh, the potential for value-based care in rural America. Yeah, back roads and blue highways as it pertains to healthcare. Uh, this is the third article in our series. In our first piece, we looked at how health systems are building out their service platforms to manage population health and risk-based contracts. That's the clear direction that, that payment is moving. In our second article, we talked about middleware companies that are enabling risk-taking for physician groups, so companies that actually help bring about the value-based payment contracts that are more and more in vogue. Now, in this article you and I authored, we're focusing on bringing value-based care to rural America. Let's start by talking about the characteristics of rural America that make healthcare delivery in general and value-based care in particular so challenging. Give us the overview. Sure. Before getting into the challenges, I think it might help to briefly touch on what has led to the success of population health management platforms in more urban settings. And while there's been you know, various clinical models, technology, and so forth that has enabled these companies to change healthcare, I say a couple of things in common they do have is they serve dense populations and have the ability to manage risk pools with larger patient base, as well as a larger pool of physicians and providers. Whereas in rural America, you have patients that are more sparsely populated, which makes it tougher to manage those patients and benefit from economies of scale, technology, and clinical innovation, um, as well as the challenge of drawing from a smaller pool of capable providers. Then on top of that, you, you have sicker patients with less access from a shortage of services, and that makes for a formidable challenge to overcome to improve health in this segment. And not surprisingly, there hasn't been much investment or attention on bringing you know, care models or value arrangements to this population. And the sad thing is when you look at the outcomes, we actually see fairly significant declining life expectancy in, in rural America, compounded by all of the factors that, that you talked about. A book that we've both recently read really brings this home. It's called The Hospital, Life, Death, and Dollars in a Small American Town. And what struck me most about that book wasn't its principal focus, which was how a rural hospital and its management team struggled to stay sustainable under very tough economic headwinds. There's a lot of that in the book. But what really caught my attention was the dramatic mismatch between the services people in the community needed and what the hospital and the overall healthcare system offered. There was plenty of money to amputate a foot for somebody who had diabetes, but very little money to provide the care management that would have prevented the need to amputate the foot in the first place, not enough mental health services, 
access to much kind of basic care, very hard to get, particularly primary care. And when you think about it, it's these basic services left unattended that trigger the more serious acute interventions needed later on. So I think much of what we're trying to do in healthcare broadly, both in urban markets and and rural markets, is think in a more progressive way about how to meet the basic healthcare needs of people so they're healthier and more productive and won't need as much of the acute care services that the system always seems willing to offer. Any thoughts about that pattern, Colby, and kind of where we are and, and where we need to go? Yeah, I think you covered a lot, Dave. You know, and I agree with what you had to say. Unfortunately, you know, that hospital is long, along with you know, many others across the country in rural areas, you know, has to devote much of its budget to high cost specialists and acute procedures. And as a result, it's not well positioned to treat the root causes of chronic illness, such as you know, mental health or substance abuse disorders, illnesses that are, are widespread in rural America. And unfortunately, you know, they aren't treated before they cause serious harm or death, and then unnecessarily costing the system too much money. And this mismatch is unlikely to change given the need for hospitals to focus on the remaining solvent and managing their fragile bottom line, which you know, requires a focus on treating patients in the hospital, not through effective preventative care. Hey, Colby, I sometimes wonder if we could do it any worse than we currently do it in terms of resource allocation and, and getting the right services to the people when they need them. But on that score, I've believed forever that you really can't improve the delivery in care until we change the way that we pay for care. And Medicare Advantage, despite having some issues, does in the ultimate equation pay for outcomes, capitated payments to care for specific groups of people. Yet, while MA continues to make big strides nationally, both in terms of its popularity, I mean, enrollment is way up, but also in terms of the outcomes it generates and the services it provides, the program has been much less successful in rural America According to a Drexel University report, beneficiaries have been switching back to Medicare at twice the rate of people in urban markets. Tell us why people in rural America just aren't taking to Medicare Advantage the way they are in the rest of the country. Yeah, I think consistent with what we discussed earlier regarding some of the challenges in rural America, the switch back to Medicare fee-for-service is driven primarily due to low satisfaction with care access in those Medicare Advantage plans. Patients many times only have you know, one or a couple choices when it comes to care options. So you see seniors switching back to fee-for-service so they can find better alternatives, even if it costs more money. Additionally, higher out-of-pocket expenses resulting from high utilization in those populations creates dissatisfaction and also contributes to switching back to fee-for-service. If there was a way that seniors you know, could get better preventative care, more attention, and care coordination, this problem of switching back to a higher cost program could be reduced. And that is what we talk about with some of the innovative companies in our paper and what they're trying to achieve. So it's basically individuals in rural communities making the best of a bad situation. Medicare Advantage appears to offer a lot of benefits, but the access limitations, the lack of competition, the limited service offering mean that they often are just back with traditional Medicare for better or for worse. Now, interestingly, like much of inner city health care for lower income neighborhoods, healthcare in rural neighborhoods is paid for largely by the government through Medicaid and other types of rural focused programs. 
that means governments have a big stake in doing this better. Some state governments have been taking really bold steps to address this mismatch between service need and service delivery by dramatically changing payment formularies. Maryland, Vermont, Pennsylvania, all have received waivers, enabling them to institute global all-payer budget with caps. Tell us about these types of programs, how they work, what they're trying to accomplish, and how they're doing. Yeah, you know, despite all the challenges we've been speaking about, it is encouraging that attempts are, are being made by policymakers to design new programs that seek to improve the root causes of poor health in rural America. As you mentioned, Pennsylvania and Vermont are two examples of states using all-payer global hospital budgets to provide financial support for you know rural safety net hospitals embarking on a transition to value-based care. Four years ago, Pennsylvania designed their global budget payment system to help rural hospitals invest in population health services. And this funding enabled those hospitals to redesign their overall services and embrace outpatient and behavioral health services and other lower cost care options. I guess what you're saying is that in states like Pennsylvania, they say, here's the revenue. It's not going to go up or down based on the number of healthcare interventions you have. We're just going to provide you a global budget, and you use that global budget in the best way possible. So there isn't the incentive, as there is in most of the rest of the country, to drive as much volume through the hospital as possible. The revenue is going to come in anyway. So the opportunity is for hospitals and other healthcare organizations in the community to go to these primary care services, which cost less, in an effort to drive down demand for acute care services and also to eliminate unnecessary services. And we all know there's a lot of unnecessary care delivered. That's right, Dave. I'll talk about shortly a new program that addresses that in a similar fashion for primary care physicians through capitated payments, which provide predictable revenue and help sustain those physician organizations in those communities. As you mentioned previously, Vermont also has an all-payer model, which they launched about five years ago and it enables ACOs in that state to receive payments that reflect aligned incentives and quality measures. All 14 of Vermont's hospitals and half of the primary care providers in that state do participate in the program. Unfortunately, despite the well-intentioned attempts, that program so far has failed in, in a lot of ways to align financial interests seamlessly because you know, hospitals bear the financial risk for the program while Participating primary care providers can choose to still operate under fee-for-service or value-based arrangement, and specialists continue to operate under fee-for-service. So, you know, while there's a lot of work to do, I think both of these still are trying to accomplish the goal of better preventative care coordination services. Let's get into that program that you briefly mentioned a moment ago, the Community Access Rural Transformation Model, or CHART. Always need a good acronym, right? How does that program work? And again, uh, I think a constant theme we're hearing here is the importance of primary care in managing the overall health of populations. Yeah, the chart model, it's a voluntary payment model that, again, is designed to meet the needs of rural communities. And it is set up to test whether they can align financial incentives and use technology to promote more effective delivery of health care and do it on a broader scale. 
So you know, more specifically, this model aims to increase financial stability for rural providers through the use of new ways of reimbursing providers that provide them upfront payments or investments and give them revenue predictability through capitated payments that pay for quality and patient outcomes, but also pay you know, on a per member per month basis, which gives these providers predictability in, in revenue. The, the investment seeks to enhance beneficiaries' access to care services also by ensuring that more rural providers remain financially sustainable for years to come and can offer important additional services, such as those that address social determinants of health, as well as other important factors that contribute to overall health and well-being of patients. In this program, we'd be done through two tracks. The first is a, a community transformation track where they'll have designated lead organizations responsible for working closely with model participants and those lead organizations will receive upfront payments and ensure that access to care is maintained. They also have an ACO transformation track where CMS is going to select up to 20 rural-focused ACOs to receive advanced payment as part of joining the MSSP Medicare Shared Savings Program. Building on the success of the ACO investment model or AIM, the advanced shared savings payments are expected to help chart ACOs engage in value-based payment efforts that will improve the outcomes and quality of care for rural beneficiaries. Both tracks are slated to begin later this year, early next year, and we're excited to follow progress. Almost by definition, these programs are going to do a much better job of front-end primary care. They really have to, otherwise they run the risk of spending too much money on acute services. They really intend to give the primary care physicians more revenue and more economics to be able to provide the necessary preventative care services that they otherwise might not to this you know, patient population that's in need for you know, much better preventative care. And so that's the goal, and we're hopeful that we'll see meaningful progress in more preventative care services delivered and better care coordination and ultimately a reduction in overall costs and healthier populations. Well, it's certainly a big opportunity and not surprisingly, the marketplace is coming up with several creative innovations for business models that can address these real challenges in health status, access, and so on in rural healthcare. We profiled three of them, Adelaide, Main Street Health, and Caravan. And between them, they're a good example of how markets organize to achieve specific goals really based on value. Tell us what these types of innovative for-profit companies are doing in a market-driven way to support rural physician groups and improve care delivery on the front lines. Many have heard of Allidade, as you mentioned, who has you know, expanded quickly by partnering with independent practices in many larger markets but also often in hard to reach rural areas. They look to establish value-based contracts and enable smaller rural providers to benefit from the scale that Adelaide brings through its technology and practice management that allows these smaller practices to better identify at-risk patients, higher-risk patients, and intervene at the appropriate time and also provide better preventative care. These primary care groups are then able to share in the cost savings that they generate and also benefit from better clinical outcomes. Earlier this year, Allidade also announced that they are partnering with Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield of Oregon to enable more effective care management, including a focus on individuals with chronic conditions, while transitioning these providers from a system of being paid for volume to one that they are paid for better outcomes. 
And again, this will focus on rural populations in Oregon. Another interesting company is Main Street Health, and they recently received startup funding to focus exclusively on rural America. They are trying to solve the problem of access to both primary care and is working on bringing value-based healthcare solutions to that population. Their first program attempts to make it easier for rural seniors to navigate Medicare and access care where they need it the most. And they are doing so by partnering with rural primary care providers, pharmacies, urgent care clinics, who offer what they are calling their extra access program. And this solution comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of our discussion around rural Medicare members leaving Medicare Advantage due to these access issues. You also mentioned Caravan Health, another company that is focused on bringing and helping sustain value programs in rural America by helping hospitals, ACOs, and other organizations capture more revenue that is available to them, which, you know, as you know, and as we discussed, is important to making these programs financially viable. Absolutely. So those are companies on the little bit smaller size, earlier stage, and so on. But then we also have the big retailers that operate in rural America now, Walmart probably being the most prominent, and they see opportunity in healthcare as well, and potentially could be real game changer in delivering better primary chronic and preventive care to all of rural America. Talk to us about Walmart and their clinics and their various approaches and why it's in their interest to invest in this type of really basic healthcare service provision. Yeah, I think Walmart, for example, has recognized climbing healthcare costs and limited access to medical treatment in this population and you know, particular challenges that they face. I know they recently selected two rural sites in Georgia because similar to many rural locations, those communities are you know, contending with higher rates of chronic disease than the average U.S. town, mm-hmm. as well as a shortage of primary care physicians. And Walmart believes it can fill a gap both customers who lack healthcare coverage and those who scrape by on a plan with high deductibles and out-of-pocket costs. And their goal is to replace visits to primary care physicians with more routine stops at a clinic. A little bit different approach than, you know, for example, what CVS took with their minute clinics, which offer more basic treatment for the occasional strep throat or ear infection, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, and where there's Walmart, there's certain to be a Dollar General not too far away and even in greater numbers. So Dollar General would serve towns even smaller than the ones Walmart typically serves, just hired a new chief medical officer and is invested in a telehealth and a pharmacy business. Again, these retailers like Walmart and Dollar General know their customers. They have a trusted presence in their communities. They're delivering convenient, low-cost primary care, optometry, dentistry, low-cost medicines, chronic care management. Is there anything not to love about what the big retailers are doing? No, I think it's great. Dollar General has stores that are located primarily in rural America. And three out of four people live within five miles of one of those stores. So they definitely have an opportunity to solve part of the access problem. Yeah, big challenge, big opportunity. We've seen a lot of success and investment in enhanced primary care companies operating in relatively underserved urban markets, still a relatively new phenomenon in rural markets, but all of the same problems, all the same opportunities. How optimistic are you about the prospects for rural communities to improve overall health status through the multiple types of interventions that we've discussed today, new payment programs from the government, 
hopefully better and more Medicare Advantage program offerings, private offerings through innovative startup companies, big retailers seeing an opportunity. Put all that together, where are you these days? Is the glass half full, half empty, or filled with arsenic? I'd say uh, more half full. Definitely encouraged to see more private and public efforts to address these issues that we've been talking about. But I think you kind of hit it before. A lot of the change will have to come from companies that people in those communities trust, like a Walmart, for example. But I think technology will have to play a big part to expanding more capabilities to local doctors and also technology delivered directly to the patient, such as remote monitoring to help them manage their health given you know, their remote locations. But overall, I'd definitely encourage to see a lot of progress over the last couple of years and look forward to seeing hopefully an acceleration of investment from both the private and public standpoint over the next couple of years. Yeah, it would be great if we could just be a little bit smarter about how we allocate our resources. And in some ways, to me, the, the challenges in rural America are easier to see than they are in urban America. It's pretty stark. And so maybe that offers an opportunity for these directed interventions, particularly in various types of primary care and mental health services and so on, to show real results that can be translated into other rural communities and more broadly into the healthcare market as a whole. So anyway, great conversation, Colby, but you know, I can't let you go without getting you to make a big, bad, bold prediction for either the rest of the year or sometime into the near future. So what from Colby Cottrell's perspective, what's a big, bold thing that's going to happen in healthcare that maybe most of us aren't seeing? Yeah, I think over the next 12 months, you'll see a significant acceleration of funding and announcements for more rural startups, similar to Main Street Health, that target many rural markets across the country. Awesome. So the back roads and blue highways are going to get a lot busier, and overall, that will be good. I hope that's true. Colby, thanks for the great discussion. I encourage our listeners to read our whole series, but particularly this article, Making Inroad into Rural America. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing what you are doing to make our healthcare system kinder, smarter, and more accessible and affordable for us all. Thanks so much, Colby. Thank you.